Welcome to the Educators Blueprint Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we engage in meaningful conversations on topics currently impacting our school systems, behavior, and instructional practices. From the classroom to the boardroom, we welcome you to unpack, reflect, and learn with us. Now here's your hosts. Hello, colleagues and friends from around the world. We're so glad you're joining us today for the Educators Blueprint. My name is Lisa Powers, and Jamie Greasehaber, my co-host, is unable to join today, so it'll just be a one-on-one conversation. I'm super excited to have Kelly Perales on the podcast today. She's co-director of the Midwest Center for PBIS, and I think I even say this during our conversation, but is a wealth of information on integrating mental health and social emotional learning and wellness into a tiered systems framework contextualized to the school and community in which the district is supporting. And so it's a very complex issue that she has really dedicated her work around to make it user-friendly and practical for schools and districts to consider building protective factors as well as responding to the needs of children in the community. So I will stop there and start the conversation with Kelly. Kelly, we're super excited to have you on the Educators Blueprint podcast. So thanks for agreeing to be a guest. We like to start where we always start. We have a formal introduction in the opening, but a little bit of informal introduction from you. If you want to tell us a little bit about yourself professionally or personally, anything of your level of comfort. Sure. Great. Thanks, Lisa. And I'm happy to be part of this conversation. Uh, I am a social worker by background and training and have spent my career both in the education system as well as the mental health system. And for over a decade now have been really focusing on aligning and integrating those systems to better support the social, emotional, mental health needs of especially students in K through 12 education settings. Uh, I co-direct the Midwest PBIS Network. We are a regional hub of the Center on PBIS. And I am also a mom to four kids. And my children have had uh, you know, the same experiences as all kids in America in the last few years. And they're at the age of transitioning into young adulthood. And so it's been quite a challenge, I will say, in terms of helping them as they've been making these transitions over these last few years. So that's something that I feel like, you know, I also bring to my work Mm -hmm. is just thinking about the impact of the last few years on families. And that's different for everybody, but it certainly connects to uh, some of the things we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So you sort of weave in the professional and personal. So this will make for a very interesting conversation. And I think it's fair to say that I'll let this be known. I'm sort of a secret admirer. So anytime you're at a conference, I always come and listen to what you have to say, because you have a lot of great, interesting, practical, but based on science kind of information. So I'm always in the back listening and learning every time I hear from you. So I'm excited to have this conversation today. 
We're going to start with chatting a little bit about mental health in general, social emotional learning. We'll kind of combine those two. You might separating and define them for us differently, but how do you think about that and what are you learning at sort of the current state? Sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly when we define mental health in our work, we're talking about the sweet spot between reduction in risk factors and presenting problems and the increase in protective factors and strengths and relationships and, and those kinds of things. And as I said, you know, for more than a decade, leaders in the field of school mental health in particular and our center on PBIS have been coalescing around what we saw as uh, a, a prevalence of need. Uh, suicide has been mm -hmm. the second leading cause of death among young people for, for many, many years now. It is only since this the COVID-19 pandemic really, and, and other related issues that we've been wrestling with in our country, political issues, social unrest, social justice concerns, uh, you know, to, to me or to my colleagues, maybe one silver lining is that no one right now would mm -hmm. argue that there's a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is that you know, up to the federal government, there has been a lot of resources, dollars put into the education system to support mental health and wellness. And so we're encouraged by that. And I think there's some like cautions for people to consider um, related to all of the funding that's available. So the need has always been there, but it's now surfaced and it's part of the conversation. Yes. And probably, I mean, the magnitude has increased. I okay. mean, the level of crisis, mm -hmm. um, frankly, if you ask some experts in brain science or disaster recovery, all of us, our brains mm -hmm. have been impacted. Mm -hmm. We just might not either recognize it or acknowledge that that is true. And of course, for some who've been impacted, be it by COVID or some of these other challenges in our country, it's of course even more magnified. So yes, there's always been issues with anxiety, depression, the impact of trauma. We're learning more about that all the time. And certainly it's been an increased need in these last few years. And you also used the word wellness. How yes. would you describe wellness in this conversation of mental health and social emotional learning? How do those three things kind of fit together? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think wellness is sort of the totality of all of that. Uh, you know, there's been a long conversation in the field of mental health around the distinctions between illness, mental illness, or diagnosis, which unfortunately, because of the way care is funded, Oftentimes that's connected to needing to have a diagnosis. You know, if you need uh, a, a, psych a psychiatrist and medication, if you need certain types of levels of care, you have to have a diagnosis. Uh, and so, you know, in thinking about it in that health and wellness kind of flip side, it's some of those pieces that I was mentioning around risk and protective factors, symptoms mm -hmm. and strengths, or you know, thinking about, and especially within schools, we talk about, you know, for wellness for young people, that's 
pro-social skills, coping skills, problem-solving skills, emotional regulation and management. And those are skills that can be taught, practiced, modeled, and, and we can layer on supports for kids who need more. Um, and so that's kind of the connection to our multi-tiered system of support or PBIS. Nice. When you think about schools and districts, how are they responding to this need for teachers, children, and youth? Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad that you asked about teachers because when we're thinking about wellness and mental health, we've got to pay special attention to the adults, especially those working inside of our schools. Um, You know, sure, they quickly pivoted in March of 2020 and were doing things they'd never done before, like teach virtually uh, through, you know, through Zoom and other platforms like that. Right, right, exactly. Uh, And also they've had to continue to adapt. Uh, There's a workforce capacity issue right now. There's a shortage of educators, of mental health providers. And, you know, plus I think we quickly forget about all of the different policies, uh, you know, are we going to require masks or not? Are we going to have hybrid learning or not? You know, there were so many different things. Uh, and that stress and strain, like I said, is has impacted our adults. And so we need to equip them uh, both with tools that they need to care for their own selves and, and support and enhance their own wellness and mental health, and also what they need to be able to support students, recognizing signs and symptoms, understanding the impact of trauma, what they can do within their classrooms to support kids. Um, and I th- and I think the other part of your question, which is about how are adults responding to support kids, you know, it's tricky because people feel like we need to react and respond. And so, you know, that might be feeling like we have to just kind of address one kid at a time through, mm-hmm. you know, when they're having a crisis or whatever other words people use, a meltdown, or mm-hmm. some kids aren't even showing up at school, right? There's mm-hmm. been a, a significant issue with attendance. Um, and yet we need to help educators, especially leaders, but also teachers to kind of step back and think about what are you already doing? What's working well? What isn't? How can you examine your current initiatives that support social, emotional, behavioral, mental health, and wellness and align, integrate, or even eliminate mm-hmm. so that we can build a continuum of supports from prevention through intensive intervention? Mm-hmm. So this kind of leads us into one school sort of organize their system in that way, take a sort of audit of what they are currently doing. And then how does that match their data and needs? What might be some best practices that if you had it your way would be in every school? Not really your way. Utopia, (laughs) utopia. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, and by the way, I mean, people do ask me, just tell me what practices to do. Tell me what screener or assessment I should use. And and we really sort of say it's important to contextualize because Mm -hmm. rural schools are different than urban and schools in one state are different than another. It's really important to have a process and a protocol to examine you know, what best practices that are available based on the data of the local school community will, will meet the need. 
I also think, uh, you know, schools and districts are, are doing the best that they can, and they're trying to also respond to any mandates or laws around things from their state departments of education that need to be done. And what happens, I think, is then things get compartmentalized. So mm-hmm. maybe someone has an SEL initiative or a curriculum they're using, and they're trying to do something around trauma-informed care and bullying prevention and suicide prevention and, you know, restorative practices. There's, you know, there's lots of things and those things get turned into different committees or work groups or, you know, plans or practices. And then it just gets confusing for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of the audit or, you know, how do we say what, evidence-based practice or intervention is best going to meet the needs of what our data tells us our kids have happening for them right now. Uh, And so, you know, all of that, and I think I've probably already said this piece, we've got to use those core features of the multi-tiered system of support to put it into place so that it will be done to fidelity and that we can have ongoing coaching and technical assistance so that we can get the desired effect or impact. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a off to the side question, but what does school safety, how does that play into all this as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and, and, you know, by the way, sometimes same thing, right? State mm-hmm. says we need to have a threat assessment team or, or a safety plan or, you know, whatever those things are. Um, and of course, we want to make sure that, you know, we're we're considering or preventing harm to kids in school uh, and, you know, not only mitigating risk, but also assessing for any risk. We also know that if you look at the, you know, incidences of even school shootings in our country, that oftentimes it turns out to be. Um, when people describe the perpetrator, someone who is isolated Mm -hmm. is what I would describe as uh, an internalizer and maybe didn't feel connected or like they belonged at school. So I think the more that schools can not only think about the physical environment, but creating safe, predictable, consistent nurturing environments where every kid feels like they belong and are connected authentically, that's going to help us with school safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those um, school climate surveys back from the children and youth need to be at 100%. I feel safe okay. and connected to this school, not 98%. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. 100%. How does the school-wide PBS framework support some of the best practices and mental health uh, needs you've talked about? Yeah, sure. You know, here, I think really it's, well, first of all, helping everyone understand that positive behavior intervention and supports has evolved in its 25 years. You know, it started out as if we could organize routines and procedures, we're going to cut down on acting out problem behavior. So first of all, we already know a lot more about uncovering those kids who are the internalizers, you know, Mm -hmm. suffering in silence, maybe in school with anxiety or depression. Uh, And we've expanded, even at tier one, the practices of like, create your matrix with your expectations to incorporate the skills Mm -hmm. that are being taught. So 
if we're teaching kids, yes, it's important to like walk down the hall a certain way. We can also teach about how to, you know, tell someone if you're worried about a friend Mm -hmm. or teach kids how to ask for help if they need it, or, you know, whatever those other skills are that I was mentioning, emotional regulation and management, we need to incorporate that into what we are doing with regard to teaching, modeling, practicing, and then providing feedback, behavior-specific praise, error correction, and using the data that we're collecting to inform the practices that we need at advanced tiers. And, and that's the place where you know our PBIS logic is so helpful because maybe we need to reteach those expectations at tier two in a small group. We might also need uh, a group that's teaching coping skills for anxiety. And if we know that that's the presenting issue, we could use an evidence-based practice that is that matches with that need. You know, so the framework, which we have, you know, again, 25 years of evidence to tell us mm-hmm. that when done well, improves outcomes for adults and kids in schools, we can really utilize it to expand and enhance with those, with that mental health lens. Nice. Yeah. So I think one of the things you're helping us consider is if I sort of implemented PBS 15 years ago, I might need to come back and do a little refresher along the way because we're always learning at the center and and as a community. Yeah. How to sure. integrate these pieces. It Systems work takes a little bit of time and takes um, some tools and some resources to help move us forward with it. If you were to say one call to action, like a first step for a school or district or teacher, if they were kind of listening, what would that be? Another really good question. You know, I think it would be before you do decide to do something, take a step back, examine what's already happening. And again, I think I already said that what's working, what isn't working. Are we doing what we said we were going to do? You know, there are no quick fixes right now. We can't wave a magic wand, no matter how many federal dollars we get, which again, no one should turn away. You know, we're not going to solve it by simply hiring more people. Uh, First of all, like I said, there's a workforce shortage. And even if we had all the adults we thought we needed, we're still not going to solve it one kid at a time, one intervention at a time. We really have to, you know, sort of work at both ends of the continuum. Sure, we need to respond to crises, especially if kids are at risk of harm to self or others. And we need to invest in the prevention science, the what we're doing at tier one, bolstering what we're doing at tier one, you know, bringing down interventions that we used to maybe only use at tiers two or three for all kids. And so, you know, I think maybe what I would say is pause. Hmm take a quick examination. And by the way, what are the things you should stop doing? If you have something that you have no evidence to show it is leading to desired outcomes and it's not required, we have to help people to stop. We don't need to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We need to do a few things really, really well. And that's going to help us build up that system over time. Nice. So that we can stay well. That's right. In the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. We always like to ask this question just because we have your 
your expertise on the podcast. What and this can be anything. What are you reading, watching, or listening to lately? Sure. Uh, the last couple of books that I have uh, read or am reading are connected to how we are working to better infuse equity into our work. And so um, I have an exciting project that I'm thrilled to be a part of where we're talking a lot about blind spots Mm. because blind spots are something that we all experience. And we're finding in our work that whether you're talking about disproportionality in discipline or access to mental health services, Sometimes there are blind spots around those things. And so we're trying to uh, really bolster our ability to say, let's examine that when we're looking at our data to help make sure that we have equitable assessment, access, connection to interventions, and that we are, you know, kind of focusing on that in all parts of our work. And then the other one is um, back to that point earlier about belonging, belonging uh, and and creating a sense of community uh, helps us make sure that we are addressing equity because the voices of students, families, community members are part of the decision-making within schools. And that uh, can help us bolster being sure that we're taking an equitable approach to our work. So important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Well, thanks for sharing those uh, readings. Uh, We'd like to leave our guests with the final word. I think the final word probably is take care. It's, you know, like you said, uh, it's that whole, you've got to put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. And uh, we all need to be sure that we're doing what we can to make sure we are well so that we can support others in this work. Beautifully said. Thanks for your time today. Sure. Thank you. Well, Jamie will be sad to have missed that conversation with Kelly as she is a social worker as well and has been working in the educational system for years and can relate to much of that conversation. We are going to, Kelly and I talked about this after we ended the podcast, but we are going to link both the books that she spoke about and the alignment document in our show notes. And really recommend you take a look at um, the alignment document as a nice place to start if you're looking to secure any of the funding coming down from the federal government on mental health and or if you're um, wanting to put some preventative pieces in place. It's a great place to start. Until next time, please subscribe to the Educators Blueprint. Go back and listen to season one and stay up with us in the season two. Please share with friends and colleagues. If you have an idea for a series, just let us know and please check out our show note for those resources I just talked about. We uh, can't wait to have you join us again next week when I think we're going to talk about a specific intervention for self-regulation. Until then, we invite you to take some time for tea and remember to take care of yourself and others. Thanks for listening.
Hollywood Basement podcast means the best of hosting. So our guest today, in addition to this, our music composer, Austin Brooks. Our graphic designer, Evan Stearns, and creative coordinator. So any chance you're seeing for school-wide positive behavior support, and me, Grace Lingetti, your MC. Thanks again for listening.